Okay, good morning everyone. Thank you as always to our Parsha series sponsors for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lila Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. Also want to thank our sponsor for uh, today, Hensha Gansberg, in memory of the Yeritzite of her beloved father, Irving Stone, the great sponsor of the Chumash that we all benefit from each week. So thank you, Hensha, for that sponsorship. It follows the Shomash Shavan Aliyah by Harry Goldman, in commemoration of the outside of her husband, Hilton Goldman, Hilla Bagershon, whose Neshama should have an Aliyah as well. I also want to take a point of personal privilege to dedicate our learning this morning. Today is my father's 75th birthday, and he's here this morning. If you know, there you go, he deserves an applause, 75 years. So uh, my father, if you know, is a very modest and humble person. I'm in very big trouble for embarrassing him now, but in addition to being an outstanding father, he is a great source of wisdom. He is my role model, my confidant, my source of great advice. And uh, if I am anything, it's because of my amazing parents. So I want to wish my father a very happy birthday. And it's a great source of uh, joy for me that my parents, at least occasionally, are here in Boca, a part of the year and coming to this class, and the Mirza Shem, we should be able to learn together for many, 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 many more years. A very happy birthday. Okay, Parshas B'Shalach. Parshas B'Shalach can be found in the Irving Stone Arts Girl Chumash on page 366. And our Parsha continues this amazing story and narrative that even though we know what happens, the suspense is great each and every year nonetheless. Vahi B'Shalach Paros it is when Paro sends the nation forth, Hashem doesn't lead them what is the more direct route, even though it's close. Maybe the people will reconsider. They're going to confront conflict, tension, and they're going to want to turn around. So Hashem redirects, He reroutes the people based on what He knows. I started putting out a one-minute motivation video a week. Last week, two weeks ago, the video was about an experience I had recently. Did I tell it here in the Parshashir? About going to a wedding and a couple down south, 45 minutes south of us, and a couple that we know left before us and texted us. And they said, don't take 95, there's an accident, there's crazy traffic in Hillsborough. So I said to my wife, text them back. Did, didn't they use Waze? And they said, no, we know how to get home, so why would we use Waze? So I said, I don't pull out of my driveway without turning Waze on. Maybe there's traffic in the driveway. How do I know? How do I know how to get out? Waze tells you where the police are, which I don't need to know, Mom, because I never speed, but it's good to know where the police are. Uh, but it more significantly tells you where the traffic is. And the mushroom that I tried to give in this uh, one-minute video is that we can either choose that I know how to get there, but all we can see is the one block in front of us. You can't see around the corner. And you can't see over tall buildings. And you have no idea what accident, you have no idea what traffic, you have no idea what natural disaster, you have no idea what's going on that you can't see. And yet we have access to this tool that comes min Shemayim. There are satellites above. It sees everything and it tells us, there's your destination and here's where you are. Trust me, let me route you the best way there. And it's going to feel like you're taking a detour. And you're going to say to yourself, everybody knows the most direct route is 95. Why in the world would I take side streets? And then you'll get your text from your friend who didn't go on ways, who's going to tell you exactly why it didn't take you the way that you already know. The Ribbon Shalom, the Ebishter is the same way. We can either live our lives with what we can see right in front of us and say, I know where I want to go, and I know how to get there. I don't need any help. 
Or we can live our lives where we realize that from up above, Hashem is showing us the ways. Hashem is telling us, here's how to reroute. Here's the traffic. Here's, and this is a perfect example of this. So they say, honestly, why are we going this way? Everyone knows the way out. For 210 years we've been studying the map. That when we'll finally be able to get out, we'll know the best way there. Why are we going the wrong way? Why are we taking this circuitous route? Kodesh Baruch says, just trust me. Dvekas, Devik, glue. Shem says, stick with me. And even when it feels like I'm taking you on a detour, I'm taking you where you want to go. And I know how to get you there better than you do. The question is, why is the parsha introduced with the word Vayehi? Vayehi b'shalach paro. The word Vayehi is milashan oi. Oi vei, Vayehi is a negative language, the Medrash tells us. So what's the negativity? Vayehi b'shalach paro. Oi vei, when paro sent us out. Who's given the krechts? Who's given this moan? From whom does the oi vei emanate? Is it coming from paro, from the peoples? The Medrash says, paro. Vayehi b'shalach paro sa'am. It is when Paro is sending forth the people, Miloshan Vayehi. He's giving a krech to Oyvei. What is Paro so miserable about? It's finally an end to these makos. Ten plagues, ten natural disasters, which really are supernatural disasters. Paro should be thrilled over the moon. Finally, peace, serenity, tranquility, safety, security. Not Vayehi, but Zaygezunt. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, Jewish people. It was fun while it lasted. I'm done. I want to recover. Zaygazant. What's the Lashon of Vayihi? The Medrash is amazing. The Medrash tells us the following incredible idea, the interpretation at least of the Medrash. It says, you know, Kozman, all the time that Paro was being visited by these horrible plagues, at least he had contact and connection with Hashem. The whole time that Hashem was visiting him with these, he was intervening with nature, violating the rules of nature in order to bring these disasters upon him. At least he felt Hashem knew who he was, was talking to him, was interacting with him. There was a communication, there was a connection. The Vayib Shalach Paro is now the Jewish people leave and I just go back to Mitzrayim. And what is going to be with my relationship with Hashem? Now, at first glance, that's an astonishing perspective because why would anyone want to have a connection or a relationship with God from such a negative position? The Kotzke Rebbe says, the month of Av, the month that is most characterized by calamity and tragedy and Jewish suffering, and we sit on the floor and we mourn and we cry, is called not Av, what do we call that month? Menachem Av. Says the Kotzke, where's the Nechama in Av? Yeah, there'll be Shabbos Nachamu and singles events in the Catskills, and yeah, you'll turn the music back on and wear the freshly laundered clothing, but the month really is characterized by not Nechama, it's not Menachem of. There's no comfort and consolation. It's sadness and tragedy. So where's the Menachem? So says the Kotzkereb. Says, you know, if you're standing on the corner and you see an adult disciplining a child, what do you know about that adult? That it's the child's parent, maybe grandparent. A stranger doesn't care enough about the child to discipline them. If someone is disciplining a child, it's because they care. They're devoted, they're dedicated, they have a connection, they have a relationship. Says the Kotzker, we're not grateful, we're not glad for the tragedies and calamities that fell our people. But Menachem Av, the Nechama in the month, is that Hashem is our Av, He's our Father, and He therefore cares enough to discipline us, to try to turn us around and bring us back. The worst parents don't discipline. They're too tired, they're too lazy. They're too exhausted, they're too stressed, they have too much of their, on their own plate, and so they take the easy way out and they don't discipline their children. 
Menachem of a good parent and of a father. The Menachem, the Nechama is they cared enough about me to set boundaries, to create accountability, to care. So that's the same shot with Para. Too many children, unfortunately, or too many parents, they give attention to their children from a negative perspective. They never acknowledge the child for doing what's right. The only time they ever notice a child is for doing what's wrong. A couple of years ago, I spent some time with a parenting expert, a professional who works with families and teachers. And the whole methodology and strategy is not negative reinforcement, but positive reinforcement. You see, it's true in school and it's true at home that if a child only can garner the attention of their parent, their teacher, and so on, when they misbehave, when they act out, then they get the endorphin release. They get the pleasure from acting out. That's the reward they receive, is from acting out. And really, we need to turn it around and not give attention from the negative perspective, but catch the child doing something right. You're playing so beautifully. You did your homework without being asked. You got ready so nicely. You cleaned your room without even... To catch them doing what's right, which we take for granted and we expect so we don't acknowledge, and therefore the only time they get our attention or hear our voice is when they're doing something wrong. Vayihi b'shalach paro. Paro thought the only way to get a Kurdish Baruch Hu's attention is acting out, is negatively. So even though it's true that Hashem's attention is being given to him through consequence through 10 plagues, but nevertheless, he craved that attention, at least he got it in that way. That's the pshat vayihi b'shalach parao, the lashon avay is on, is on paro himself. On their way out, they grab vayikach Moshe's atzmos Yosef imo, and they grab the bones of Yosef, I think we spoke about this last year, or the year before, not the atzmos Yosef, but the atzmus Yosef. They took Yosef's entire life story that he was able to survive in the diaspora, and he never compromised an iota of who he was, that he was able to live with the affluence of the palace, and yet the affluence did not corrupt him, did not distort him. They didn't just take the Atzmos Yosef, they didn't just take the bones, they took the Atzmus Yosef, the Atzmus, the essence of Yosef, the life lessons of Yosef. That's what they went back to capture, that's what they went back to carry, that's what took them across the sea, and that's what was responsible, the catalyst for its splitting, what caused the enormous miracle, of course, was Yosef, and we've shared before, just as Yosef overcame his nature to resist the uh, advance of the wife of Potiphar, so to the sea violates its own nature. Instead of staying as one, it chooses to split into. Hashem does these miracles as they travel, the pillar of fire at night, and the clouds during the day, and the, the symbolism of what that represents, and so on. We've spoken about so much of this. I want to get to some new topics together with you. Perak Yedalad Pasuk. Let's go to Pasuk Tesvav. What happens, of course, the Jewish people leave. Even then, Paro should have given up, and nevertheless, doubles down, the stubbornness and obstinacy. Paro is still very committed. Hashem continues to tell us his agenda. His agenda is, Paro, when introduced by Moshe to God, says, I don't know, I don't know this God, to which God responds over and over and experientially. You don't know me, you've read about me in a book, but you don't see me in your life. 
Hashem's whole curriculum is, they're going to know. He knows the people ran away, and he has a change of heart, and he gets his chariot and his horses already, and they run after them. And now the Jewish people raise their eyes, and what do they see? They are literally stuck between the rock and the hard place. They raise their eyes and they see that the Egyptians are in pursuit behind, the sea is in front of them, and now what? By Yerumo, they were very fearful. By Yisrael Hashem, and they cried out to Hashem, and they said, "I'm a bleeding farm in Mitzrayim. What the cemeteries, no graves in Mitzrayim? You couldn't let us have at least a dignified demise there with a burial place. You have to bring us here where we're going to drown or be slaughtered and never have a proper burial, die in the desert. Mazosasisalanu. Why'd you take us out of Mitzrayim? Why'd you take us out? So Moshe tells them, Altiro, don't be afraid." Hashem is going to do something incredible for you today. Hashem will make a war for you, and you be silent, not to worry. So Hashem says to Moshe, He looks down and he finds the Jewish people are davening, and he says, what's with all the davening? Close the Tehillim, close the sitter, leave the main group, stop baking the challah, enough with the schoolers and the tefillahs, and Taber ben Israel the Yisau, start walking, start going. Now, the Yisau, start walking, is a bizarre instruction. Where? Where does he expect them to walk? He doesn't say, Moshe, touch your staff to the, to the uh, sea, let it split, and then tell them to walk. He doesn't give any insight. He doesn't give any prophecy about what's going to come. He tells them to be so, and they look, they're basically staring back at Waze, and Waze says drive, and they say, but it's a dead end. But I'm at the edge of a cliff. What do you mean drive? What are you talking about? I'm at the end of Palmetto Park Road. Oh, there's the ocean in front of me. What do you mean drive? Where? How? Viso, go. What's Pshat Viso? Only then, the order is the wrong order. First, you should say, touch your staff and split it. And then you'll see that a lane opens up and Waze tells you, oh, you didn't see that there was really a highway underneath the sea. But after you press this certain feature, then it opens up and now you have this lane, Viso. What's Pshat Viso? And then Vinini Mechazek is like, Mitzrayim, don't worry, they're going to come after you and Mitzrayim is going to drown and you're going to be all safe and secure and everything is going to be good. What does it mean that you need to go? So Rabbi Soloveitchik has in his Chumash the following. There are two types of divine intervention. One in which man plays no role, and one where man takes the initiative and Hashem becomes a partner in the enterprise. One would assume that Hashem should be thanked more for the former than the latter. When do we owe the debt, greater debt of gratitude to Hashem? When do we have to be more expressive in our, in our appreciation? When He did everything? or when we partnered with him and we took some initiative. So I would expect when Hashem does everything and I get to sit back as a spectator, when I get to sit passively and have the redemption happen to me, I should be more grateful. I went along for the ride. And yet, it's the opposite. We show more gratitude when we take the initiative and we invite him to be the partner. Our gratitude is increased because we must bless Hashem for the privilege of allowing us to be his partner. In the Exodus from Egypt, Noah, not an angel, not a man, abetted Hashem on the wondrous night of watching, on the Leil Shimurim. Yet strangely, at the time that the Jews left Egypt, neither Moshe nor the people sang for the amazing miracle they witnessed. 
It was only seven days later, after splitting the sea, that Moshe and the people sang the song of the sea. Why'd they wait a week to give thanks? Ten plagues? No one has anything to say. Ten plagues? Nobody sings a song, nobody offers halal, nobody composes shira, nobody convenes the klezmer band. Ten plagues? Gornished. Splitting of the sea, all of a sudden, Az Yashir Moshe, Ubnei Yisrael, and Miriam has the women's choir, and the Neshei get together, the sisterhood has their own event. What's going on over here? No men's club, no sisterhood, no choir, no nothing in Mitzrayim. Ten miracles! And now, one more, one tag on, one addendum at the end. One more bonus feature, and for that, psh, everyone's on stage singing. What's going on? Says Rabbi Salavitch, the reason lies in a fundamental difference between Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Kriyas Yamsuf. Hashem did not have nor did he seek man's assistance. You shall not go out any man from the entrance of this house until the morning. When it came to Mitzrayim, Hashem said, buckle down, stay home, lock the door, smear it with some blood. On the inside, not the outside, it's for me, says Hashem, not anyone else, but stay home. Category five coming your way, get in the closet, lock the door. The Jews were to remain in their homes, eat of the Pesach lamb, and watch as events unfold. In such a case, the expression of gratitude was attenuated. But in contrast to Kriya Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea, Hashem offered the Jewish people a role in their own redemption. He required a leap of faith, a jump into the water prior to the parting of the sea. The shock of cold water, the fear of drowning, became Israel's minute, minute contribution to the miracle. At that moment, they became partners with Hashem. And as a result, Moshe and the people full-throatedly sang the majestic Az Yashir in gratitude. In other words, the Rav is turning Az Yashir on its head. This is an incredible insight. Listen to me carefully. Az Yashir is not a song praising Hashem for the miracle he did. Of course that's what it is. And when you read its words, it of course tells the story of Hashem's amazing miracle. But essentially, says Rabbi Salavitchik, Az Yashir is not about Hashem's part in doing the miracle. It is a statement of gratitude that we get to be his partner, that we get to take initiative, that we get the satisfaction, that we have, we are gratified and we are fulfilled and we have the reward of feeling that we too did something, that we too did something. You ever have a small child and they're trying to do something and you really do it, but you trick them and make them feel like they did it because they desperately want to be the one who puts on their shoe or buckles their seatbelt or gets themselves dressed or puts the puzzle together? Because there's a child in us who finds tremendous fulfillment and derives great satisfaction from a feeling of accomplishment, of making a difference, of contributing to our own destiny, of shaping our own lives. And so Az Yashir is not Hashem. I sat back like a couch potato. I did nothing. You did everything. And thank you. One would think that what would garner, what would precipitate the greater statement of gratitude is Mitzrayim. Stayed at home, kicked back in the recliner, I'll be reading Mishpacha magazine. You do 10 plagues, let me know when the coast is clear. Let me know when the coast is clear and it's time for me to leave. And one would think you'd be overwhelmed with gratitude then. No. Kaiser said the coast is clear. Shkoyach. Maybe they gave a shkoyach. Maybe. But then they come and see. And all of a sudden they're singing a big song. You know why? Because Nachshon ben Aminodav dipped his little toe, went up to his knee, and to his hip, and to his chest, and to his shoulders, and to his chin, and it was freezing cold, and all of a sudden the sea split, and the people went in and they said, Hashem, you are the one who did the miracle. Thank you for enabling us to feel that you're your partner. It's an amazing thing. The word for faith is, what do we live with? Every Wednesday morning we have a shear living with? Emunah. 
How do you say a livelihood or profession? How do you say a profession in Hebrew? In umnus. The same word, umnus, emuna. Use the same word to describe a profession as we do for faith. Why? Why? Because even in my professional ambition and aspiration, I realize I'm just a partner and I'm the junior partner. But Hashem, thank you for letting me feel like I did something. The truth is, if you wanted me to be a billionaire, I could be a billionaire without ever getting off the couch. And if you want me to struggle to make a living, I could work 23 hours, six days a week and barely put food on my table. And in the end of the day, it's you, not me. You are the senior partner in this project, whatever my profession. But you know, Hashem, you're so kind and so gracious and so good. Thank you for letting me feel like I've contributed. Thank you for letting me live with the illusion that's my acumen and my brilliance and my work ethic. It's my skill set. It's my strength. It's my courage. It's my bravery. Thank you. Thank you for letting me feel like I've contributed something. Emuna and umnus. At the core of my umnus, of my profession, is emuna. That no matter how hard I work, no matter how much initiative I take, in the end of the day, it's up to you, Ribon Shalom. Whether it's a successful outcome or not, it's all up to you. And here's the amazing thing, and I've pointed it out countless times, he's the senior partner. Partner, Whether the whole endeavor succeeds or not depends and relies on him. And yet, you know what he says to us? Eh, you keep 90% of the profits. I just want 10%. And by the way, Hashem says, I don't want them for me. I just want 10% of the profits that you would have none of without me. You keep 90%. I did 99.9% .9 of the work. You did 0.1%. But you keep 90% of the income of the profit. 10%, just if you could do me a favor, I have some children, they're struggling, I don't need the money, just give it right to my children. And some people struggle to give miser. It's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Some people struggle. I'm not talking about where you struggle to give miser, because if you give miser, it means you don't have food to eat. I mean, you're still going away for Pesach and have three housekeepers and four homes and six electric cars, and people struggle when you ask them to help. They're hungry people, they can't get up to the point of giving miser. Hashem says, I'm the senior partner. And I'll tell you what, you keep 90%, just 10% give to my kids who are struggling. And we say, 10%? So much? How? 10%? So demanding? So unreasonable? 10%? 10%? He does 99.9% .9 of the work. So Rabbi says, Az Yashir is not a song about the greatness of Hashem. That they saw through the 10 plagues. Az Yashir is a song about, thank you Hashem for letting us live with the illusion that we took initiative, that we are your partner, that we've contributed to this process and to this outcome. And that's why Hashem says, V'yisa'u. You see, if He told Moshe, touch the staff to the sea and it would split, and now there's a clear lane, and now there's an open highway, that would be 100% from God. That would be the equivalent of an 11th plague. What made this different is it took the V'yisa'u. It took that initiative, it took that effort, it took that courage, it took that leap. Sometimes we have to say, Rebona Shalom, I'm taking that leap. I'm jumping in. That's what Tosefta and Brachos tells us. Why did Yehuda merit to be the king? Monarchy, royalty, the Gemara entertains. Maybe it's because Yehuda saved Yosef from the pit. No, because he didn't really save him enough. He still allowed them to throw him in the pit. Maybe it's because Yehuda admitted with Tamar, she's more righteous than I. Nah, says the Gemara, that can't be in the Mishnah, the Tosefta, that can't be it. Why? Because still, he had the Misa with Tamar, even though in the end he did the right thing, but there's no way he was rewarded that his progeny are royalty because that can't be. 
So So why is it that the descendants of Yehuda are royalty? Why are they the kings? So listen, Rabbi Akiva says in the Tosefta, you know why? Because Yehuda was such a person that he produced in his progeny, in his grandchildren, a Nachshon ben Aminadav. And you know who Nachshon ben Aminadav was? Nachshon ben Aminadav was a person that when everyone else stood around, I could really picture the scene. You could probably too. There are two to three million people, 600,000 adult men standing there. The Egyptians are running right behind them. And the sea is standing right in front of them. And they don't know what to do. And you know what everyone's doing? They're telling everyone else, you really should do this. And you should do this. And this is why this would never work. And I told you why that was a better idea, a terrible idea. And everyone had an opinion. And everyone had a criticism. And everyone had a suggestion. And everyone had a solution for everyone else. And all of a sudden, there's one guy who walks out of the crowd, and he's not talking, and he didn't raise his voice, and he didn't tell others what to do, and he didn't play Monday morning quarterback about the mistakes they made. You know what he does? He just pulls out of the crowd a little bit, and they're all debating, and they're all arguing, and they're all fighting, and they're all a committee, and they're all the board, and they're all the people criticizing. He walks out, and he just starts walking in. He says, I'm not going to focus on the problem. I'm going to be the solution. I'm going to be the change I want to see. I'm going to be the catalyst to bring about that redemption and that result. And that's what the Medrash concludes, the Tosefta concludes, Yehuda, who expressed such leadership and who ingrained within his own spiritual DNA and produced such a grandchild, who didn't fetch and complain and point a finger, who didn't tell others what to do and didn't focus on a problem but became the solution and started walking, that's what we need from leadership. That's why he was Zachal Amachos. Because what we need from leadership are not people who can express problems, but people who are the solution, v'isa'u. Hashem wanted, and Nachshon understood that message. Stop, close the tehillim, close the tehillim, close the sitter, close the rally. This is a time for action. This is a time for umnus, not emuna, Because umnus includes emuna in it. There are two types of initiative we take. We take initiative with our actions, I'm sorry, and we take initiative with our words. We show Amuna in our Tehillim, we show Amuna in our Umnus. When we go to work and we say, Hashem, I'm going to do my part, and now the rest is up to you. I'm going to make my effort, and now it's up to you. This bothers me so much. If I had a dollar for every email I got this week about saying Parsha Saman in the school of Parnassah, we'd be sitting in the brand new campus in New Shul by now. Why does that bother me? Yes, we have a tradition, and I'm not discouraging you from saying the Parsha Saman that is in our Parsha this week. But it bothers me because how many people think I just need to sit back in my recliner and read Parsha Saman and then literally Hashem's going to make it rain. Then the Parnas is going to flow. I don't have to try harder at work. I don't have to take more initiative. I don't have to have professional ambition. I don't have to have training or skill set. I'm just going to say Parsha Saman and then it's going to fall from the sky. That's not our tradition. Not only is it not our tradition, the Parsha Saman skips right over the whole story of the Kriyas Yamsuf where Hashem says, close your Parsha Saman and get to work. You know what the biggest school for Parnassa is? Going to work. <laughs> it's going to work. It's the biggest school there is for Parnassa. But some people know I say the Pitamak from the Klaf, and then I say the Parshas Amman three times, and then I separate my 17 challah making of the day, and then I do the day, and, and what can I do, Hashem? There was no time left to work, so now just give me Parnassa. Now give me Parnassa. My school has took up the whole day, so I didn't have time to make a living, so I stopped by the rabbi and leave an envelope. That's not our religion. That's not our parsha. That's not the message. Hashem says, stop. There's emuna within your umnus. In other words, what were Chazal trying to communicate to us by calling a career and a profession an umnus? 
That when you work, it's not a stira, it's not a contradiction to having faith in Hashem. Work is not a contradiction to faith. Work is a fulfillment of faith. Hashem, I'm doing my part, and thank you for letting me feel like your partner. Thank you. That's Az Yashir. And we sing Az Yashir with a sense of joy. Mishnabura quotes that a person every day, Mishnabura says a person should say Az Yashir with a sense of joy, with a sense of happiness. Bechol Yom. You should say it with a niggin. You should say it with a song and with a sense of joy. And what, according to Rabbi Soloveitchik, what that means is, you're saying, Hashem, with a sense of song and a sense of joy, Hashem, thank you for letting me be your partner. Thank you for letting me bring about this whole result. Okay, we haven't started yet. I want to get to the psukim <laughs> before we run out of time. So what is the shira? So we're up to the shira. They start walking, the sea splits. The Egyptians walk in, they all drown. What's going on over here? Vayaminu. Perak Yedalad Pasuk Lamed Aleph. All familiar to us because we say this every day. Az Yashir. Even before, sorry, even before you get to Az Yashir, we say Vayosh Hashem Bayamahu. It's in our sitter every morning. There's a preview of snippets. We'll get to it one day. So they see, the nation sees Hashem, they believe in Hashem, and. Moshe Avdo. So first of all, we've talked about this in the past, very difficult to understand. They believe in Hashem and they believe in Moshe? All of a sudden, chas v'shalom, are we suggesting an equivalency between God and Moshe? Is there some of the deity or power? What do you mean in the same breath, in the same sense, vayamina b'ashem of Moshe Avdo? So the girl says, no, what they're believing in is vayamina b'ashem, they believed in Hashem. And now this Moshe, whose credibility they questioned until now, who they were struggled to really have faith and to defer to him as their leader. Now, everything became clear, and the picture became complete, and their destiny began to unfold, and now not only do they have faith in Hashem, but they had faith, said the Grah, that Moshe is Avdo, that Moshe, who claims to represent Hashem, he's legit, he checks out, that Moshe is indeed Avdo, indeed Eved Hashem. The Ashach says, no, this is the Eir of Rav. The Eir of Rav believed not only in Hashem, but they started to worship Moshe. Remember we discussed the Ran, the Drashas Aran. I mentioned that I didn't have the new art called Drashas Aran, and then my buddy Mendy sent it to me in the mail. So I don't have the whole set of, what should I say this week? <laughs> Gotta name something I want this week. I don't have a new Tesla in my driveway, no. So in the Drashas Aran we mentioned that why was Moshe, we, remember we talked about the whole Medrash and he touched the, he burnt his tongue and he wasn't an orator and we quoted the Maral and we quoted different interpretations about why Moshe had a speech impediment and we shared the Ran. We didn't want anyone to think that all this was a charismatic transformational leader stood up and pulled the wool over a people's eyes. So Hashem instead said, I'm going to give you the worst public speaker of all time. He's got no charisma, the worst oratory skills. You'll be miserable listening to him. And it's through him that I'm going to give you my timeless and true Torah, where it'll be about the content, not about the packaging. That was Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what the Ran said, why Hashem did it in that exact way. So the heir of Rav didn't see that. They thought Moshe is this miracle worker. And they began to have faith not only in Hashem, they had faith in Moshe. But the order is peculiar. What do you mean, Shouldn't it be and then What comes first, seeing God or having faith in Him? What's the right order? The Pasuk seems entirely out of order. And my Wednesday morning chevra should know the answer to this because we studied it together recently in the Sefer Emunaso Yechye of Revolbe. And Revolbe said the following. 
He says it's not the way we think logically, intuitively. It's not that, well, if I have great Amuna, I'm going to subscribe to the Amuna, what's happened, the Amuna email, and the Amuna voice note, and the Amuna this, I'm going to read the book on Amuna, and I'm going to everything. if I take seminars on Amuna, I'm going to increase and promote my Amuna, and then I'm going to see Hashem everywhere. That's not the way it works. It works the opposite. If you begin to see Hashem everywhere, then you're going to realize He's always with you, and you're going to have a great sense of Amuna in Him. On Shabbos, I spoke about the Hashgacha Pratis WhatsApp group of our family. Just yesterday, we posted new things. I met my wife at Starbucks yesterday, and we both ordered a drink, and I went to pay, and it was $9.39. And on my Starbucks app, I had $9.38. And I started lecturing the barista in Starbucks about Ashkacha Pratis, which... She didn't seem that interested, but I thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty outstanding. I thought it was pretty outstanding. The exact right amount, mamish, unbelievable. In fact, she said to me, don't claim I left you penniless. You still have one penny. That's exactly what I had afterwards, worth one penny. So, if you live your life and you say everything, everything that you, everywhere you look and everything that happens and everything that unfolds, you feel, wow, that wasn't a coincidence. That wasn't random. It wasn't chance. It was by design. It worked out perfectly. Look, the person pulled out right when I pulled in and there were no other parking spots. Thank you, Hashem. You live your life in the sense of thank you, Hashem. The order is not first you have Amuna and then you'll start seeing Hashem. The order is, look for and start seeing Hashem. Pull back that veil and see He's pulling the strings. Notice Him everywhere and then the result will be Amuna. First it begins Vayiru, and then it leads to a sense of Amuna. Az Yashir Moshe. And then Moshe responds with a deep sense of, with a deep sense of, of, uh, of Shira. So what is Shira? What is Shira and where does it come from? And why do we emulate it? And why did it take until now? What was going on until now? The Kotzke Rebbe also points out, you don't sing Shira, the same thing as the Rav. Ten plagues in Mitzrayim, nobody said boo, no Shira. But now, pss, when you feel Amuna and you see Him everywhere, ooh, your whole life you're singing and dancing. Your whole life is defined by Shira. I mentioned the Amuna Shira also, the Bashem Tov. Bashem Tov says if you walk in a room and you see people gyrating and moving and hopping and bopping and bouncing, and there's silence, they look like a bunch of lunatics. You think they're a bunch of weirdos. But if you hear music, then they look like they're dancing. Amuna is hearing the music. And as you live through li- walk through life, you hear the music, then you're going to want to join the dance. You can't help but move with them. So that's Shira. Shira is Amuna. It's hearing the music, the rhythm of life. It's seeing Hashem pulsating from behind the curtain, the one who's orchestrating and organizing it all. That is the deep sense of Shira that we that we live with and that we see. So this Shabbos is known as Shabbos Shira because of Az Yashir. And among the monumental events, this is the first time that Shira is sung. The Medrash Mos Rabbah tells us, Miyom Shabbat Kodesh Baruch Hu Sa'olam Va'ad Sha'amdu Yisrael Al Hayam Lomatzinu Adam Shabbat Shira Kodesh Baruch Hu Eli Yisrael. From the time the entire world was created, nobody had as of yet composed or sang a Shira. And the Medrash even elaborates, Bara Adam Arishon Valam Shira. Adam Arishon, pum, poof, comes into existence, looks around, Gan Eden, hmm, not bad. Oh, you could eat shmur, you don't even have to work. It's a little cool in here, but otherwise it's beautiful. Everything's amazing. And still, lo amar shira. But he never said shira. Avram's thrown into a furnace, and he walks out unscathed. He fights a war with kings, and he perseveres and triumphs. And he said, thank you. But he fell short of singing Shira. Yitzchak, 
Chen Yitzchak min ha-machelis v'lo ha-mashira, v'chen Yaakov min ha-malach, min Esau, min Anshay Shechem v'lo ha-mashira. Yitzchak, Yaakov, Avon, their lives were characterized by Hashem intervening and saving them, and yet, while certainly they said thanks, although not the thanks that Leah gave until Leah came along, but they never sang Shira from when the whole world was created until this point that they crossed the other end of the sea, no one sang Shira. Kevin Shabbat Yisrael Yamin Ekrolahem Yadam Rushira Lefnei Kadosh Baruch Hu Shenemar Az Yashir Moshe Uvenei Yisrael Amar Kadosh Baruch Hu Leilu Haisi Metzape. Kadosh Baruch Hu says, I've been waiting. Finally, I've been waiting for this playlist. I've been waiting for this Shira. I've been waiting for this song. I've gotten nice cards and expressions of gratitude. I've gotten nice text messages, but a Shira. Finally, I've gotten the Shira. So what is the Shira? And why was it not said until now? And what stimulated it to be said at that moment? And you know why it's critically important? Because the Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Aftar Diyal, tells us, There is a goal. We have a mission every day to be able to sing Shira in our lives, to emulate and imitate what they did in that moment. So defining it is critically important to us. Now, the first hint of the definition of Shira can be found in the Medrash, the Mechilta. On the words, Vayomru Lemor. And the Mechilta there quotes a Machlokas between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Nechemia. What is Vayomru Lemor? What is it that they said? What was it similar to? Rabbi Akiva says it was a hallow. They called out and they sang praise. And Rabbi Akiva is the more compelling position. I understand that Az Yashir, if you read it, essentially is a very poetic hallow. They are singing out the praise and exalting Hashem. Rabbi Nechemia says, no. Vayomru Lemor is Shema. Az Yashir is parallel, is modeled, is similar to Shema. So the similarity of Shir to Halal I get. How is Az Yashir similar to Shema? And parenthetically, how is Shira different than Tefillah? We've seen Zaka, Rina, Bitzur, and so on and so forth. How is Shira? What does Shira add? What is the difference? What do we aspire to to be saying Shira B'chol Yom? So I want to share with you the following definition which I think has brought many svarim, what shira means. Shira is not reading a text. It's not discharging an obligation to make your way through a liturgy. It's not checking off a box that I recited and said a bunch of words. If I read a thank you note, if I say a card, I've given a thank you. I've acknowledged my debt of gratitude to the other. Shira is the spontaneous expression of joy. Shira is the language of the heart, the song of the soul, the melody of the neshama. Shira is when something happens in your life that so moves you, that so touches you, that so makes sense to you. When something happens that you never believed or dreamt could happen, when things worked out exactly the way you wanted or needed them to, even when you didn't believe they yet could. And you're so moved that you're just, you have a bounce in your step and you're humming a melody, and you can't help but sing the spontaneous outburst of song. You're singing Shira all the time. When we feel, more than simply acknowledge and more than simply state, but we internally feel Hashem's existence, His goodness, the purpose and order of the universe, that everything was orchestrated to come together for a reason, we cannot help it but sing Shira. Someone's in a good mood the day of the birth of a child or the, the wedding's about to happen and they're just humming and they're just singing and they just can't stop singing because everything feels right and everything feels it's coming together. Shira is far beyond words that we recite. Words we recite are important. It's important to say the right thing. It's important to say thank you, but it's an altogether other level to sing a poem of gratitude, to be moved to a place of song, 
to not be limited and held back by the, by the words. It's an experience that, unfortunately, often, we'll talk more about this in a moment, lasts only for a fleeting moment. It's a feeling which comes quickly and too often disappears almost as quickly. But in that moment when we lean in and when we embrace it, we are moved to this outburst of song. Some of the most amazing shira has no words, like a niggin, where the words do not hold us back and limit us to have to think about the words or remember the words or struggle to understand the translation of the words. That's the power of a niggin, the power of just a tune of a shira. It moves us, it transforms us. In some of our most moving moments in that kumzitz or that shalashudas or that onag or that tish or that experience, whatever it was, the havdalah, that song, that shira that so deeply moves us. So perhaps what Nehemiah is teaching in the Mechilta is that when you say Shira, it's because you're having the most palpable moment of Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim. See, when I say thank you, I just said thank you. Do I really believe in you? Did you really do it? I don't know, but I got to say thank you because it's the right thing to do. It's common courtesy. It's menshlochkeit. I have to deliver and I have to repay my debt of gratitude by saying thank you. I have to make the admission that you helped me, that I was incomplete without you. I have to say thank you. But what Rebbe is teaching us is that a shira is so much more than just saying thank you. It's more than discharging words. Shira is Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim. Shira is a complete awareness of Hashem's role and providence in our lives that we would never have gotten to this point and we'd never get to this moment and we'd never experience what we're experiencing if not for His goodness and His kindness and His greatness, graciousness. So the Avos all praised Hashem and the Avos all thanked Hashem. But the Yavos had never confronted a moment like that with the sea in front of them and the Egyptians behind them and no way out, no solution. There simply was nothing that would enable them to survive. It was a helpless and hopeless moment. And somehow, against all odds and all possibility, Kosh came in and made it work. And all they could feel in that moment was to count, was to sing, was to sing Shira. Sometimes we live life an inch away from the canvas and all we see are the tiny dots and they look like splatters of paint, they make no sense. And other times we get to step back and see the whole picture and understand why it had to happen and unfold the way it did and how it was really for our benefit and the good that really resulted and came out of it. And in those moments where we have that clarity and we have that perspective and we have that broad vision, we spontaneously sing Shira. The Shifcha Alayam saw more than Yechezkel. Because you don't have to be sophisticated or great or brilliant or wise or knowledgeable. All you have to do is be alive. All you have to do is have a pulse. And in that moment when it all comes together, that awareness, that kabbalas al machushamayim that comes together creates a sense of shira for us. And that's our mission. Mizmur shir, the Yom HaShabbos. Shabbos, first of all, is a day that we disconnect from the distractions and the technology and the obligations and the responsibilities that Mizmor, we don't just sing a Mizmor, Shir Liyom HaShabbos. Shabbos comes, ah, oh, a Shir. We sing, Hashem, thank you. Thank you for what I have and thank you for making it to this point and thank you for this gift. person who celebrates Shabbos, sings to Shabbos, bursts out with a Shir for Shabbos. The Mishnah Buddha I mentioned quotes the Zohar that a person should exhibit joy when singing as Yashir. Don't mumble and don't swallow Az Yashir and don't try to fly through the Az Yashir. But every day, Az Yashir is a moment to stop and reflect what happened in my life this week or this morning. 
that brought me to this point that I can sing Shira, that I could respond with that sense of Kabbalah's Omah Hushemayim. Hashem, I see you so tangibly and palpably and feel you so, so literally in my, in my life. Revolba has a very interesting insight. If you look at the Az Yashir, which is what we're studying, and you look a little more closely at it, you'll see several references in Az Yashir to Binyan Beis HaMikdash, to the anticipation of the day there'll be a building of the Beis HaMikdash. For example, Perak Tezvav Pasuk Zekeli Ve'anveyu, this is my God, Ve'anveyu, and I will glorify him, which the Gemara learns is not Lafan of the Mitzvos, we have two drushes that come out. One is to beautify mitzvos. That's why we have hidr mitzvah. We beautify all that we do. And we have another that we should imitate and emulate Hashem. Zakeli v'anveyu. V'anveyu is ani v'hu. I want to be like him. We know that the greatest form of flattery is? Imitation. Imitation. Mahurachun, Be like God. I want to be not like Mike. I want to be like God. I want to understand God and know God. What does God value? What does He prioritize? What does He care? What does He exhibit? How does He behave? And now the greatest way I can flatter Hashem is to be like Him. Zekeli, you are Zeh. We pointed with a finger, Zeh. We know the Lashon of Zeh is to be able to point. It's the Madrega, it's the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, his Nevu of Hashem. We, with such certainty and such knowledge, we no doubt whatsoever that this was all Hashem, it was all Him. Zeh, you. Kaylee, you're my God, you're in my life. You're responsible for this all. Now I want to be like you. Now I just want to be like you. So tell me about you. Hashem says, tell, tell you about me? Oh, no problem. I visit the sick, you should visit the sick. I comfort the mourner, you should comfort the mourner. I bury the dead, you should bury the dead. I clothe the naked, you should clothe the naked. You want to be like me? I'm Racham, you should be Racham. I'm Chanun, you should be Chanun. Why do we have these two separate drushes? We have two different psukim. To walk after Hashem. And so Rav Asher Weiss, the Menchaz Asher, Mitzvah Hashem, be here in March. Rav Asher Weiss says, you know why you have two separate sukkim? Because they're telling me two separate ways that we imitate Hashem. I think we mentioned this last year as well. One is, go through the motions and act like Hashem. Visit the sick and bury the mourner. And you know, that's all very beautiful. It means to say the following. I really have no interest in volunteering for the Chesed Committee. I really get nothing out of giving tzedakah. I really hate paying a shiva call or doing bikr cholim, but you know what? Hashem does it. I'm going to do it. I do it, not because it's what I intuit, not because it's my instinct, not because it's my nature, but I do it because it's the right thing to do. That's the drasha of, just like he's mevaker cholam, you should be mevaker cholam. The other drasha, mahu achum achum mahu chanun is mold and fashion and shape your heart to be like God. Develop a chesed instinct. Develop that chesed intuition. Don't just analyze the situation and say, well, what would God want me to do? He would be like that, so I should be like that. Don't just go through emotion or do the action even though you don't want to. Transform yourself into a chesed personality. Become that individual. Become that bal chesed, that balas chesed. Not just the person who's performing, like you're acting. When you say performing an act of chesed, performing is acting. Don't be acting. Be the chesed. Be a person who instinctively intuits chesed. But Revolba has a different interpretation. Revolba says, the anveyu, based on Chazal, is I will build a base on Mikdash for him. Zekeli, this moment, it's incredible. Everything came together. This wasn't chance. This was orchestrated and choreographed by above. Hashem, you're amazing. Ze, I see you. I know you're trying to hide there behind the curtain, but I see you peeking through. I know it's you. 
I see you! And I want you to know, come out. I'm going to build a special home based on Mikdash, and you and I are going to hang out there. Stop peeking from behind the curtain. Stop hiding. Come out. I'm going to build a base on Mikdash. Zeh, I see you. Zeh, Kaylee? Van Veyu. I'm going to build him a base on Mikdash. But then we continue. Pasukit Gimel. With your strength, you led them to the base on Mikdash. And then we conclude. Mikdash Hashem Koninu Yadecha. Your hands formed your base on Mikdash. What is going on right now? A moment ago, they were a slave nation. More than two centuries of, of servitude and bondage. They've been out for five minutes, and all of a sudden, in this song, they're anticipating a base on Mikdash. Several references to, we will build it for you, Hashem, you will inspire and help us build this base on Mikdash. What is the connection, what's the correlation between Yamsuf and the base on Mikdash? Why? They just went through this miracle. Do they have to dedicate the entire song to the base? Just revel in the moment. Just experience the moment. Be present in the miracle and sing about it. Why are they already up to the next thing and we're going to build you a base on Mikdash? Remember, at this point, they didn't know that it's going to take 40 years of wandering. They didn't know that Waze was going to reroute them. And the anticipated arrival time would be 40 years from now. They didn't know that. So what are they saying? We just got out, and you're trying to hide, but Zekeli, we see you. And Van Vett, we're going to build you a base on Mikdash. That's what's coming up next. Ask Revolba, why are you looking at what's coming up next? Be in the moment. Listen to this insight, he says. It's so powerful. Says Revolba, you know what happens? We experience a spiritual high, and then we come down from it, and poof, it's gone. We go through a moment where we undeniably saw Hashem and we felt a connection to Him and it was Rabbi Nechemiz Kabbalah and we spontaneously burst out by singing this amazing song and five minutes later, where is Hashem? The Wi-Fi is slow here, there is no God. Five minutes later, Lashon Hara, I forgot to make a bracha before I ate. Five minutes later, we have amazing spiritual highs. I come out of Ne'ilah, Motza Yom Kippur, this is it, this is my year. This is it. I'm going to be the biggest tzaddik, the biggest tzaddikas. This is it. Three minutes after I broke my fast, I'm fighting with this one. I'm telling Lashon Hara about that one. I forgot to really bench. I benched while I was clearing the table. I was, what happened to all the promises? What happened to Ne'ilah? What happened to the song you sang at Ne'ilah? Says Revolba, after experiencing a divine revelation of remarkable proportions, so much so that a simple maidservant perceived Hashem with more clarity than all the future prophets in Yechezkel, B'nai Israel said, you know, we need a way to be able to preserve this newfound spiritual le level. If you want to capture a moment of high, you need to take a Kabbalah on yourself in that moment. You can't wait and think that the divine, that, that inspiration, that spiritual inspiration is going to last. You need to, in that moment, decide what's going to be different. Here's my Kabbalah. I'm going to put into practice. I'm going to put into play. I'm going to create something new. Building a base on Mikdash would help them maintain the momentum and integrate it into their daily lives. So while yet they were in the middle of singing the song for the spiritual high that they had happened, even yet in that moment they said, and here's how we're going to capture it. Here's how we're going to bottle it. Here's how we're going to ensure that we can build on it. Here's how we're going to create a momentum from it. We're building a base on Mikdash. Who's in? If a person wants to be able to continue, then you can't just experience it and wish that it will go on. You need a plan. You need a resolution. You need something in practice. You need to be able to put it in place. And that also sheds light on the incident that immediately follows Kriyas Yamsuf. 
They walk for three days in the desert, and B'nai Israel do what they become experts at doing. They complain. They say, what should we drink? And regarding the occasion of the request, the Torah tells us, he gave the nation there, Sham Sam Lachoku Mishpat Misham Nisau, that Kosh Baruch Hu gave them portions of the Torah, and there he tested them. And Rashi there, it's in Perak, it's in Perak Tezvav, Pasuk Chafei, Perak Tezvav, Pasuk Chafei, is in page 382. They cried out to Hashem, they complained, and He showed them a tree, and He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet, and there He gave them parts of the Torah, parts of the Torah, and there He tested them. Rashi says, what was the test He gave them there? V'sham nisahu. What was the test that he gave them there? He tested to see if they would respectfully ask Moshe to daven for them. Would they ask in a way that was befitting the people on their level? Would they, who had just experienced unprecedented, unparalleled, and unrepeated divine revelation, would they, who had risen to the level greater than Yechezkel ben Buzi, would they, when it was time now, that something was missing? In other words, you just had this amazing spiritual level. You just claim that you felt and saw Hashem in your life. You just claim that you know He's there with certainty. You just claim that it transformed you forever. Okay, five minutes later you're thirsty and there's no water. How does that go? How does that go? Does that experience transform you to now ask Moshe, Moshe, respectfully, can you daven for us? Maybe is it possible as a way that Hashem could get us some uh, water fountain? In essence, it was a test to see if they had integrated the spiritual level into their daily lives. And they failed the test. A moment ago, they were at the highest of the highest of the high. And a moment later, they're a little thirsty. It's all gone. The test to all of us, my dear friends, is not whether we get a geshmak davening, or was the ne'ila beautiful, or was the time with our grandchildren amazing, or how was the vacation, or how was the high. You can't stay on the high. You can't stay on top of the mountain, but can you take the mountain down with you? Do we put it into practice? Do we make a Kabbalah? Does it change us in what is truly a lasting and transformative way? That is, that is the question. And that's why Kriya Yamsuf is connected with the Mikdash so much. Because they pledge in that moment, not just to sing Shira for the here and now, but what's the plan? What's the plan? How are you putting it into practice? How does it remain not a wish? How does it become a resolution with a plan to be able to implement it? What is the plan? What is the plan? What is the plan to be able to finish what I wanted to <laughs> say to you this morning when, as usual, we are running out of time? What is the plan? What is the plan? So I'll just tell you, I wanted to take you through the whole end of the parsha with Amalek. What is this battle with Amalek? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about it. And then next year, we'll offer the answer. <laughs> I had so many more things. I had another great revolver. So I'll ask you a bunch of questions. First of all, I'll tell you about the Mun. For the people who don't like that I ranked in the Parsha Saman, let me tell you about the Mun. Say the Parsha Saman. Say it at work. Amuna Umnus. Say the Parsha Saman. And then get to work. And that's Akash Baruch Hu, like the man fell, I trust you, the man fell. Okay, good. So, what I want to tell you about the man 
They're hungry, the man begins to fall, double portion Friday, doesn't fall on Shabbos, Aron Lachan Mishnah, Vachule, Vachule, Vachule. Top of page 384. I'm going to make a rain. What's the expression? In our vernacular, we use that. The rainmaker, the person who could bring in the money is the rainmaker, who could drum up the business, who could network and make it happen. Right? It's raining. When business is good, it's raining. Can you make it rain? Where does it all come from? Our Torah. Hashem make it rain, bread from the heaven. Hashem says they'll go collect it every day, and this will be a test. And what is the test? Will they walk with my Torah or not? And from here we derive that the following. Chazal say from the fact that Hashem says and characterizes this as a test and says this is a test. So the Mechilta says, Lo nitna Torah ela, haman. The Torah was only given to those who eat the man. What's pshat that the Torah was only given to those who eat the man? What does that mean? The Torah is only given to those who eat the man. So there's a beautiful Kotzker. Kotzker says, Kotzker once called in Hishamash. Kotzker Rebbe, Menachem Mendel of Kotzker. And he said, what's pshat? The Torah was only given to those who consume, who rely on and trust, who experienced it raining from the heavens, the man. So his shamash said, oh, what it means is that just like the Dordea, just like the door in the Midbar, just like those in the desert, had no worries. They had no anxiety. Is the stock market up? Is it down? What's happening with interest rates? Was the trade deal closed with China? They weren't worried. Is business good? Is business bad? My clients, my customers, they weren't worried. The man fell literally from heaven. And because of that, they had margin in their brain. They had headspace to be able to learn Torah. They learned Torah with no worry, no fear, no anxiety, because they knew where their food was coming from. They were living a cola life. The stipend was coming in. It was getting paid, the bank account. The parents were the ATM, it was happening. Lasak Torah, with a clear head, they're able to just sit and steig and study and learn Torah. So that's what he said. So the Kaskarabah says, no, you got it all wrong. It's exactly the opposite. The Kavana of the Mechilta is exactly the opposite. Meaning that the people who struggle and worry about their Parnassah, and nevertheless, they're not worried, they have Bitachan Hashem will provide. Why? What does it mean, Lanit Torah, The Ochle Aman, it's true, they knew the food descended from heaven. But how much were they allowed to take? How much was their stipend? for that day. So they knew where they would eat from that day, but they had no idea where they were going to eat from tomorrow. And nevertheless, they sat and diligently dedicated themselves to the study of Torah. Because Torah is really acquired not by the people who feel such independence they don't need Hashem. Torah is really acquired, said the Kutzker, by the people who feel so dependent and nevertheless rely on with bitachon that Hashem will provide. Even though all I have is enough for today, I know that just like He gave me for today, I'm confident Hashem will give me for tomorrow, and therefore I can sit and study Torah. And that said, the Kutzker is the pshat, is lo nitna Torah not the ones with such certitude because they had the man, but lack of certitude because you don't know where you're going to get it from tomorrow, and yet you have bitachon Hashem will provide. That's what it means to be able to receive the Torah. That is the pshat of the Kotzker. But Meir Shapiro, the Lubliner, founder of the Dafyomi, the Rosh Hashiva of the Chachmei Lublin, said the following: Why is the Mashal lo nitna Torah the only ones who really receive the Torah? The Torah was given for those laoch lehaman. 
So he said the following. He said, what was the character of the man? What was unique about the man? It was the ultimate Shalom bias dinner. Why? This one wanted milchiks, this one wanted fleshiks. So they wanted Chinese, and this one wanted Italian. This one wanted shawarma, this one wanted sushi. This one. And you know what Hashem said? No problem, eat. Whatever you want it to taste like is what it tastes like. Whatever you crave is what it satisfies. It's a lot of fascinating halachic discussions about the man. Did they bench after eating the man? What bracha did you say before? Do you have to wait for milchiks and fleshe? All about all of how we understand kashras and brachos. How does it apply to the man is actually a big discussion. But said the Lubliner, said Rameir Shapiro the following. He says, you know, you could taste whatever it is that you crave. So The wealthy had the man taste like caviar. And the poor had the man taste like potatoes, bread and water. Whatever your experience previously, whatever you're craving, you were able to find it and you were able to taste it in the man. Similarly, and so too, said Rabbi Meir Shapiro with Torah. Just like the man tasted like whatever you craved and what you were looking for, so to Kla Yisrael, from whatever your background and whatever your knowledge base and whatever your perspective and whatever your predisposition, we studied the same Pasuk, we learned the same Parsha. And Rameer Shapiro enabled us all to say we're sitting on the same blot, we're learning the same Daf Gemara but we all get something else out of it. We all taste something else in it. We all are able to introduce another Chiddush Torah in it. And that's the Pshad he said, The Torah was given to those who had the experience with the man. And just like the man had a diversity of taste based like what the person was looking for, so too Torah, the Shivan Ponim La Torah. This one likes the Hasidus, and this one likes the Lamdus, and this one likes the Svardi approach, and this one likes the Pshat, and this one likes the Drash, and this one likes the Sod, and this one likes Shivan Ponim La Torah. There are layers and layers of Torah. It tastes like what we crave and what we're looking for in it. And that's what it means, the Torah, Haman. I was gonna, I'm not even going to ask you the questions on the Amalek because we don't have time. But I wish everyone a great day. And Amir Tashem will pick up with Bishalach next year.